Hello, welcome to more of the Richard Herring podcast feed, powered by Acast Plus. Uh, hope you're enjoying all these tour podcasts. There is still a chance to catch some, though they're selling out very fast. Uh, we, in fact, Sheffield on the 7th of March sold out. Uh, but check the theatre website for returns. Uh, Monday, the 11th of March, Adam Buxton and Lemsis A in the Leicester Square Theatre sold out. But you can get tickets for the Warwick Arts Centre, where I'm talking to Lindsay Santoro and the Exploding Heads internet phenomenon, and at Bedford on the 21st, where I'm talking to Olaf Falafel and my old friend Al Murray. I'm at Glasgow uh, on the 27th of March, sold out, Susie McCabe and Fred McCauley, and then at Hull on the 28th of March with Tommy Cannon and Bob Morton. Uh, there are three tickets left as I talk to you so get there quick if you want to come and see that also this richardherring.com slash come and see me on tour doing stand-up for the first time in six years richardherring.com slash ballback coming lots of places around England and some places in Scotland uh, and that's about it for the moment all right sit back relax and enjoy rahalastapa Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Playhouse Liverpool. Please welcome a man who's looking out for university lecturers. Is Richard Herring. Oh, man alive. How lovely to be here. Hello, Liverpool. Fantastic. How lovely to see you. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Liverpool Sunny Torture podcast. It's never been this hot in Liverpool before. And the, we may have some deaths in the audience. It's been a, it's been a beautiful day. Uh, but uh, I was bumming one of the liver birds today. Uh, not Neris Hughes, one of the actual, I, I'd scaled the liver building, got up there, you got it, it's one of the traditions, and when you come to Liverpool, the, uh, the, the female one, doesn't make a difference, the cloaca's the same in both, right in the cloaca, uh, it, while it was doing it, it called it Rahalastapas, I, I don't know if that's, <laughs> no, that's going to catch on, yeah, I, I mean, like I say, like the university lecture thing, if you're unaware, it was 16 years ago, I think. Uh, I did a show here uh, and afterwards I uh, had a, a middle-class fight with a university lecturer on the streets of Liverpool and oh, my T-shirt was ripped off. It was terror, got kicked in the ball, you know, and, and actually, actually, if that guy's around, that might be one of the reasons. That ball took a bit of damage. Uh, I was in uh, Barbados and I got knocked over in the sea and it, it expanded up three or four times the size. And then it got kicked in the balls by a university lecturer in Liverpool and then now it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Anyway, never mind. Uh, I've been looking up uh, facts about uh, uh, Liverpool to find, find out what... I, you know, I thought I knew most things about Liverpool. I did not know that King John had designed Liverpool. That is, uh, 
That's a, that was a surprise to me. It's such a, you know, it's such an individual city and such a sort of anti-English city to think of the worst king in England. <laughs> put it together. This is just an interesting fact. There was uh, seven streets in Liverpool to begin with in an H shape. I don't know why I didn't make it in a J shape. That's what I'd have done if I'd been King John. And the High Street used to be called Juggler Street. And I don't know why have they changed that. Juggler Street. I'm just annoyed. Uh, he created the port uh, in order to launch attacks on Ireland uh, without having to pay the people of Chester port duties. That's the reason he did it. But look, the, Ireland, or the Irish have had the last laugh, haven't they? Because they now own Liverpool. So it's fine. So bad luck, King John. It didn't work out. There'll be more Liverpool facts coming up. I was going to do this one and I decided it was too, uh, too offensive. Uh, so I'll do it and then we, we'll cut it. I thought it was too offensive to the people of Liverpool. It isn't really, it's just, it's not, it's not that good. Uh, Albert Dock is home to one of Liverpool's greatest shames, uh, the floating map of the UK that <laughs> weather-obsessed nonce Fred Talbot used to leap around on. I think they should, they should have imprisoned him on that, shouldn't they? They should have, like, they, that would... He's out now. He's out now. I looked it up. Good, we'll leave him. Uh, so, uh, hey, look, uh, I will mention this now, but I'll mention it again uh, next, in next week's show, if you, if you can come back uh, for next week's show. Uh, I am, uh, uh, I'll, be, I'll be in the uh, circle bar after the show, uh, and with, I'm, I'm very happy. There's some programmes uh, that you can pick up for free and make a donation to Scope. I'm very happy to sign that, do selfies. I will be selling some stuff. I'll mention what that is. Uh, next week. Uh, but let's crack on because we've got an amazing guest who's already been telling me stories backstage, so I know we're going to get some uh, terrific stuff. He's probably best known, the reason we're here, he's the producer of Shankly Nature's Fire. That's why, that's, that's what he's best known for. Will you please welcome the amazing Peter Hooten, ladies and gentlemen. Peter Hooten from Shankly's Nature's Fire. Thank you. Come in. Cheers. What a fantastic introduction. <laughs> That's who you are. Uh, I mean, let's, we'll talk, football's a big part of, uh, of your life. I, was, I said to you, I said to you backstage, I mean, you're, you're football, you're in a band, you, you hate the sun, you hate the Tories, you're basically Liverpool in human form. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. well, well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? You know, to, I mean, Liverpool is, you know, you, you think it is an anti-establishment city, but yeah. Liverpool's history was based upon sectarianism, and it was a Tory city yeah. until the 1960s, basically. The, you know, the, a Tory council until the 1960s. Yeah, that's incredible. So there's a bit of a mythology about uh, Liverpool being this ultra-left place, because throughout the, you know, throughout the years, throughout the decades, it's only in recent decades, really, since the 1980s, that Liverpool has been regarded as that, you know? Yeah, but there's nowhere else in England, I think, that would react to events. And I'm, and I'm saying this, I'm not going to go Boris Johnson on you. I'm saying this in a positive way. Uh, in, the way in, the, in, the, in the way that, you know, the idea, the fact that you've kept the sun out of the city for 30 years, no other city would do. Yeah. No. Yeah, and I think that's down to solidarity. Yeah. I think it is, and it's being taken off most of the shelves, so you can't even see it, you know. And if someone spots it somewhere, you know, uh, there's a big campaign to go to that shop and pick it. <laughs> you know, so, but, yeah, that, it's a symbolic boycott now, of course it is, because all, most of the people have moved on, haven't they? But uh, realistically, 
Murdoch still owns the paper, doesn't he? So it's, yeah. even though it's, uh, it, and it, it, it's one of the uh, best boycotts, I think, since the boycotts of South Africa. Yeah, you know, it's undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and well, you know, but I don't think anywhere else uh, in the in the UK. I was in um, Birmingham last night, uh, and they've taken a leaf out of your book and, and become bankrupt. Uh, but <laughs> that, there's, there's sort of the feelings of something great, you know, because that's a, that's a that's a, a place where a lot of cultures are. Uh, side by side, and and it's and it's working out pretty well now. Again, they're not in the, not in well, the past. I mean, if, since the capital of culture, you just got to walk around today. Yeah. It's you know tourism is absolutely booming. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the number of figures. You know, I think there's a hundred and seven cruise ships coming to the city this year. Right. You know, people are pouring in from everywhere, not just for the Beatles and music, but for football as well. You know. Yeah. And even on my Liverpoolian, you know, I look at the Everton uh, Stadium on the waterfront, you know, and I get pretty jealous looking at that. <laughs> even though we've got a magnificent stadium, but on the waterfront, it's, yeah. it's going to be iconic, isn't it? You know? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, you know, I didn't know this about you, but you, you, you started out writing this, uh, this football music fanzine called The the End. That was sort of one of the first things you did before, before the farm, right? Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, it wasn't a football fanzine, no. really. We mentioned football, but it, was, it started off as a music magazine. Right. And one of the lads who did it, um, called Phil Jones, did, he did a mod fanzine when he was 17. And I was a youth worker in, the, in his area, and I thought, this, this lad must be a genius, you know. I'll get people writing. Uh, and the idea was to get the working class writing, you know. Uh, like They had a Scot- Scotland Road Writers' Workshop, and I thought it'd be great to do that. Uh, and that's how the end started, really. So even though people regarded it as a funny magazine, there wasn't one single joke in it. Right. Ever. It was just all observational humour about people, our mates that we knew, or people we'd observed and that, you know. And it went down a storm, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a legendary magazine, but we, we never had a business plan, or we never, you know, we used, to, uh, we used to collect the money in bags and then go on the ale in town, and that was it. <laughs> and that's where the, all, all the ideas came from. Was from the pub. They yeah. were the best ideas. You know, we'd jot them down on beer mats and go, oh, that, that'd be funny, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's incredible, isn't it? That's an incredible thing, you know, that even if it is just to get to have beer for yourselves, to use your creative creativity and, and to channel that into something. And, it, and again, it's this underground sort of yeah, yeah, unofficial was, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was an underground magazine, no yeah. doubt about it. But lots of people from around the country used to uh, write in for it, you know, and... I think they were, you know, if we we had this thing called the ins and outs column, and that was a piss take on the face, basically what was going to be fashionable yeah. and what wasn't fashionable, and the ins and outs column became a phenomenon in itself, you know. Yeah. But we started to get like poems and letters, mainly from uh, Her Majesty's prisons, <laughs> <laughs> and it was we had that, you know, we'd read Jimmy Boyle's books and we could see that art could, you know emancipate people, you know, and yeah. so we were getting saying, don't mention my name, but I've got this poem, and don't mention my name. So we got all these uh, letters in from all these uh, uh, penal establishments, and right. I mean, people wanted to write, and we thought, isn't this great, yeah. getting people's uh, work onto paper? Now every cunt's doing it on Facebook, <laughs> aren't they? And it's absolutely shite, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, well, the problem with the, the internet is ev- everyone's everywhere, so you can't, you know, if you can get it all in one little place and then hand it out to people, then, you know, you can create it, curate it a little bit, I guess. But before that, you were, you, you know, I was listening to an interview where you were talking, you almost, 
were going to become a, a priest. A priest, yeah. 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 Well, well, that was a bit of a different When I was a kid, lifestyle. I used to, my mum said, I used to sing Little Donkey at the back of the church. Right. And the priest didn't like it. And said, you better tell your Peter to shut up. That's not the first person who's told me to shut up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I used to give out communion. I get dressed as a priest and all that. And my mum's side of the family from a place in town called the Friary. It was a very religious, uh, or you know, uh, place, you know, yeah. but it was right on the edge of the Orange Lodge area, which is Netherfield Road, yeah. where my dad was from. And my dad, to marry my mum, had to go through a, a two-year course of induction. And the last six months was the intense induction, where he had to go to the presbytery, he said, for one hour, uh, uh, twice a week, to learn the catechism, to learn about the rules of the Catholic Church, just to make sure... And he used to, he used to, uh, he said he used to say, he used to question it all the time. Why is the mass in Latin? No one understands it. And I actually said to my grand once when she objected to turning to English, I said, Gran, I didn't know you could speak Latin. She said, I can't. It just sounds better. <laughs> so my dad, you know, was induced into the Catholic Church, right. but my grand thought he was a communist because he kept on questioning, you know, yeah. you shouldn't eat meat on a Friday. You know, uh, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And he, que he questioned it all. And it's, they've all been thrown out the window now, you know, <laughs> those rules. <laughs> well, they don't like you questioning uh, religion because, you know, it sort of does start to fall apart quite quickly. Under. <laughs> but they, you, they, you, they treated you so badly, really. The, I mean, not as badly as they could have done, uh, the priests. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you got off lightly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, well, you know, they, they put you off it, basically, didn't they? Oh, they? yeah. Well, you see... I mean, when I, was, when I was growing up, I thought, like, I'd have this religious experience, this emancipation when I made my first Old Communion, and nothing happened. And yeah. I thought, this is weird. I went to my first confession, and you had to do a practice confession. Uh, and I, I had to do it with the nun. She was, like, the stand-in for the priest. Right. And I made all these things up. I said, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, I have told tears, I have told lies, I have swore at me, Mum and Dad, and I tried to burn the school down. Because <laughs> they said, make it up. Yeah. So I had a fertile imagination. <laughs> my mum was a dinner lady in the school, and the nun went and told her, I'm worried about your Peter. Uh, he said he's going to burn the school down. <laughs> and that's against the rules. That, yeah, it is that, against, that is the, against rules, the rules. Yeah. <laughs> but we also had a priest called Father Mean. And next to the presbytery, there was a bit of waste ground. And he, he said to all, we'd be like seven and eight, he said, if you dig that up and seed it, you can play football on it next year because the school didn't have a football pitch. Right. So we did it. Next year, knocked around. He said, oh, boys, you can't do it now. No, no. It's like Wembley. That can't be touched now. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> so then we knew, you know, uh, these weren't telling us the truth, you know. Yeah. And then Bill Shankly came along. It was... He became my hero, then he was my messiah, you know. Yeah. Because whatever he said, I hung on his every word, you know. And I think if you look at his quotes now, yeah. he could have been a, you know, he could have been a religious leader, he could have been a political leader, <laughs> you know, unbelievable. But, you know, better than he did what he did. I mean, that's it's the same with, you know, it's better that you've done what, what you've done. Imagine wasting your time going into the prayer priesthood <laughs> when you've all, all the, you know, all the, the happiness you brought with the, the stuff you've done and all the, all, you know, the, the joy and everything is, is you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an outward thing rather than, like religion can be a very inward thing, I think, and yeah, yeah, can be a very inward yeah. thing, and, and music yeah. and expressing yourself is... Uh, yeah. uh, I'm yeah. still scared of the Catholic Church. I've yeah. got that Catholic guilt thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they work on. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's great when you're having sex with somebody who's a Catholic because, you know, they're so full of guilt. And, uh, 
they throw themselves into it, but then they're sorry about it afterwards. It's the best. It's just the perfect combination. So keep it up, you crazy, perverted <laughs> vicars and priests, nuns. Keep putting out these emotionally damaged people into the world. <clears throat> so... Don't speak about Jamie Callagher like that. <laughs> he went to ask you. <laughs> well, that's all. That's an interesting bit with the music. It seems like I mean, you're into music a little bit, but it seems like it was the Clash that and Joe Strummer that, yeah. that really kind of changed your world in musical terms. Yeah, it did. I mean, I was into obviously I was into Bowie and that. Yeah. And um, you know, Alex Harvey band, believe it or not, and a group called Family. I don't remember a group I don't called remember, Family. Yeah, no, no, but. And then I got a bit, you know, there's a few lads in our school. There was like, there was tribes in our school. There was the skinheads and the smoothies and the trogs. The trogs were mainly from the middle class areas, you know. Um, And I was in the middle, really, because I like soul music, but I also liked a bit of early Genesis, you know. So we're always looking for the next big thing. You know, someone will come in and say, have you heard this Sunrise LP? You go, what? That's Sunrise. You go, yeah, it's brilliant. So everyone was always looking for the next big thing, but yeah. no one's... And I was into deaf school. I loved deaf school. And then punk came along, and it was just like, you know, it, that was, you know, it was uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, that moment, you know. And I saw The Clash many times, you know, but I say never meet your heroes, but I met Joe Strummer and Mick Jones and that in Paris. I went to Paris with Liverpool in 81, and we spent a week wasting on the ale, basically, wasting our time. We didn't go to the Palace of Versailles, didn't go to it at the Louvre, didn't look for this mythical Adidas centre, which didn't exist. <laughs> uh, so then I went back in the September, because I wanted to go to Versailles, and I wanted to go to all these tourist places, and just so happened the Clash, Pete Wiley, the Beat and the Clash were on for seven nights in a place called Mogador Theatre. Okay. And I thought, oh, I'll have to go down and see if I can get in the sound check. So I walked in. And someone said, are you with Pete Wiley? I didn't know Pete Wiley. I said, I, I might be. You know, like, <laughs> and uh, anyway, the tour manager came out. He said, what do you want? I said, uh, he said, where are you from? I said, I'm, I'm from Liverpool. And he said, so am I. I'm the tour manager. Who do you support? Liverpool. How many tickets do you want? <laughs> so I went for seven nights. Wow. And every, I, was, I wasn't just, you know, I, I wasn't just in the audience. I was backstage. Right. So I become, um, you know, I was, I was, I was eating bits from the rider and drinking yeah. from the rider and he heard the clash coming up the stairs so I put the banana away and as I put it away uh, I said to Joe Summer I said oh sorry about that Joe I was starving and I went look man we're the clash you have what you want I thought <laughs> oh my god what yeah. a hero yeah. and he, he, he did you know people like that change your life and Paul Weller as well yeah. and after the seven nights they uh, went round Paris looking for a nightclub to let them in with like 50 wastrels <laughs> you know, me included and he went to every club and he go, no, you, the Clash can come in, but get rid of them Paris punks, you know, because they're all... And, and Joe Strummer said, we're not going in here then. So we, he waited till somewhere had let him in so we'd all get in. Right. What yeah. a hero, you know? Yeah, absolutely amazing. And, and you, I heard a story about you uh, meeting him a bit, a bit down the line and uh, the Clash... There was a night where you, you thought you were going to end up, you know, supporting the, oh, the Clash. Oh, right, yeah. That was, we were touring in America with Big Old Old Dynamite. Yeah. Um, so we were in a hotel room, and um, um, Joe Strummer was deputising for Shane McGowan. Right. You know, because Shane McGowan was ill, you know. Shane's still alive, isn't he? No, Joe's been is. dead for years, you know. He can't still, and, really. There must be <clears throat> several Shane McGowans in the cupboard somewhere. <laughs> they just scared you. Pull it like a rolling piece of... And must have been, must have been. But anyway, I went to, you know, I went to bed early about four in the morning. 
And then I started getting uh, phone calls. To the, I was answering the phone. I said, hello. He said, it's Joe Summer. Come to the room. Go sit in the room. Oh, fuck off. You know, put the phone down. <laughs> I thought, thought it was one of the farm messing around, you know, winding me up. In the end, I think uh, uh, Roy from the group, he answered the phone. He said, no, it's Joe Summer. who recognises his voice. So we went up to the room and uh, and Mick and Joe, and he'd had a fallout, hadn't he? Because yeah. uh, Mick had been sacked from his own group, hadn't yes. he? For, uh, <laughs> musical differences or whatever. But the, uh, by six o'clock in the morning, the clash were reforming and the farm was support in America. <laughs> you know, and I, he could have shot me then. You know. <laughs> I, but it didn't happen, unfortunately. It didn't, it didn't happen, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I think the last gig they did together before Joe passed away, I think it was a miners. Uh, sorry, a fireman's benefit. Right. Uh, and they got up on stage together, you know, a um, week before he passed away, I think, that's, yeah. That's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Shane McGann, it's everyone... He, do you think he's just waiting for everyone he's ever worked with has to die first, and then he's, then he's allowed to die? Is it Shane McGowan? <laughs> <You know. laughs> it, it could be. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know much about the genesis of the, of the farm, um, before, before I, I, I sort of started looking into you for, for this. And it's, I, I, it's a really uh, impressive and, you know, story, isn't it? Because you're working class lads and, and you're working independently and you sort of managed over the... I mean, it took a little while, but you yeah. managed to sort of conquer the whole system. Six or seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And usually in, it's 18 months and the group, group are like gone then, aren't they? Yeah. A&R people... But yeah, we were always on the on the verge of doing something. Suggs had helped us out in '84, '87. Paul Heaton started helping us out. Brian Travis, God rest his soul, from UB40, he tried to get us a record deal. And in the end, we thought no one's going to sign us because all the record companies and all the publishing companies were saying you've got no image. You know, you've got cagoules and tweed jackets and cord jackets. And this was before Oasis, yeah. of course. You know, <laughs> and uh, so you got you got no image. You've got to be like. Uh, Kajigugu or Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And yeah. we go, well, this is the way we are. And <laughs> this is the way we are. We're not changing. Yeah. So oh, eventually... I'd, love, I'd love to see you with Kajigugu hair, though. <laughs> Nick, Nick Begg's hair. Well, we did, I wish uh, done we it. did a cover once for Ruby Tracks <laughs> for the NME. And I did have a Phil Oakey wig on. <laughs> uh, and that's impressive, yeah. yeah. One of those big... <laughs> but yeah, it was... So in the end, we thought we'd do it ourselves, you know. And it was really... Uh, our manager, Kevin Sampson, who's an author now, and he, he just did uh, Anne, the documentary on Anne Williams, right. uh, the drama documentary, and also In Search of Ralph Moat, is it? You know, the, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah he, did, he wrote that as well. So okay. he, he's an author, Kevin, and he, you know, he was a genius. He was our Malcolm McLaren, really, and he set everything up, really. So he got in touch with uh, Suggs in London again, said, would you produce us? Got in touch with Terry Farley, got in touch with pluggers and... We didn't have a clue, really, you know, what, what was going on. Yeah. But Kevin was saying, do this, do that. As soon as we had success, of course, all the groups started having opinions. <laughs> <laughs> we want to do this, we want to do it. And we're in the middle of America, and we're, taught, we're in New York, and the Dakota buildings down the road where Lennon lived, you know. And everyone go, wait until Kevin Sampson comes tomorrow. We're going to have, you know, we haven't had this, we haven't had that. She's going, we're in America touring. <laughs> anyway, Kevin turned up pissed and uh, with Suggs and my mate Mick Potter, and uh, the... The, the emergency meeting was abandoned. Right? <laughs> but it's amazing. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't, when I have had Suggs on the, on the podcast, and he didn't talk about you at all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he had, uh, <laughs> he had, uh, no, he was the, the yeah, the bastard. I think they, rec- they recognized something in, in both of you. I mean, both of you were, were a group of lads and, and who 
didn't fit into a lot of those a lot of yeah, those other I bands think, that were going on at that time. Well, you so. know, our, our videos ideas came from the likes of Madness because yeah. we had we had characters in them. They yeah, always had characters. They always getting dressed up, weren't they? But you know, we had uh, Frankie Howard in one of ours. Right, we had George yes. Best. We spent a week with George Best in right. London, <laughs> and it was one of the greatest weeks we've ever had. And we, it wasn't when he was on the shorts. He said, "You won't like me on the shorts, lads." <laughs> it was when he was on the bottles of lager and that, and we had a great time. Right. And uh, but you know, we we did runners from rest from his club. We went to this club and he, he got a plate of chips, and it was like something like fifty quid. And he said, uh, "Anyone got any credit cards?" And no one had credit cards. <laughs> credit card. And George said, "Okay, let's run." So we did a runner with George Best. Because no one's going to remember who, no one's going <laughs> to recognise who he was. Well, they were saying, George, George, come back. He said, put it on the sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it was, it, you know, there was this, it was stepping stone, right, that kind of, was, it was an unexpected yeah. sort of thing that broke you. And that, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, which was, I mean, it's, it's not really a cover, is it? It's, it's, it is a cover, it's but, a but it's, it's a it's a re- yeah, yeah. It's a And it w- went down great in the clubs, you know, around the country. We also had the famous uh, cover, which had a sheep in flares and kickers. And um, stuffed sheep, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that the actual cover was getting put in in, in uh, clothes shops in London and Manchester and and Liverpool you know, yeah. as a statement because the NME at the time was saying that's what the images of like uh, all these groups, these baggy groups and all that. I mean, no, we don't dress like that. You know, one dresses <laughs> like that, and full of people maybe. Yeah. So it was it was a bit of a phenomenon, but we didn't release it on seven inch or cassette or anything like that you know it would have all been streaming now wouldn't it but yeah. but uh, at the time it was only a 12 inch so they couldn't keep up with demand so we had people in london going around with uh, car boots full of records basically and we had a midweek of night 40 or something so we thought we were going to get in the top uh, 40 but we never did it went down i think to about mid 50s or okay. something you know yeah but it was the start then kevin said you're going to a beta uh with Boys Own and Flying. They were all the uh, the beautiful people from London who were doing all the st- stuff in Ibiza. Right. And um, we were saying, oh, great, great. Yeah, how much are we getting? Oh, yeah, you're not getting paid. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? Is that this the best publicity you could ever have? Trust me, lads, trust me. <laughs> so we went. A lot of groups knocked, knocked it back. Yeah. But we went and, you know, it was transformational, really, you know. Yeah. And so, and so you, you became, you know, the next couple of singles were big, big hits. And and you and the, the the album was a, the album just had its 30th anniversary quite recently, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. In the last few years, uh, was like very successful. Yeah. Uh, and so did you did did you go to Sony after that that album? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know the the lads who run the record label, uh, you know, it was it was one of those situations where you know they'd done a fantastic job. It was like an avalanche of like success, you know. But when start things start going wrong, we saying. You know, where's the lads from the record company? Oh, they're all in Barbados, you know. <laughs> they're all in Barbados, and we were trying to promote a single. Yeah. So it was, Ke- I think, Kevin's idea, you know, to go to Sony and that, you know. But it was one of those things when we were, like, in America, we'd be playing somewhere like Dallas, you know, and Kevin Sampson would go in the office, and, he'd say, and they'd say, where are they tonight? And they'd say, oh, we're in Dallas, and they'd all say, oh, fucking sellouts. <laughs> that was the attitude, you know. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, it was funny, but you know, uh, I mean, Jamie Reed, you know, just passed away. Sex Pistols uh, graphics person. He came into Produce Records and he looked at him and went, "Fuck it, now this is punk rock." 
no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> and I think I think that was the case, you know. Yeah. But it was just it was just a, a tidal wave. You couldn't stop it, really, you know. But as yeah. soon as start, things start to go wrong, we, you know, we we were taught in America maybe too much, you know. Okay. We signed to Sire, see more signings in Sire Records in America, you know. And maybe we concentrated on that and forgot about writing songs, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a difficult thing, isn't it? To suddenly get. I mean, to have success after all that time, to suddenly have big success after grafting and, you know, and, and sort of flying off in your own directions and doing things because they're fun. Yeah. And then suddenly it's a business and suddenly there's a big business behind you and you're being offered, I mean, I'm imagining Sony offered you like he- well, heaps of money. Well, one of, the, one of the things we were told by people who, who had a bit of knowledge, don't employ your mates. <laughs> <laughs> and at one stage we had about, you know, 15 people on the payroll, which is roadies and all that type of thing, but... You know, it was it was a big organisation. We actually had a market share in Music Week. Right. You know, at one stage, you know, but you know, like everything. Uh, but Alan McGee always says he won't say it publicly. He always says to us when he got the creation deal with Sony, it was based on the deal we did with Sony. You know, right. uh, so, but he'll never say that in public. You know, he's, <laughs> but he always buys us a pint of it. That's for that's for, <laughs> that's for doing. The, and Oasis owe you owe you a, a few pints as well. Would you say? Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't. They, they'd say no. You know. Yeah. But, you know. You never know. I but mean, were... I think. I think they. What happened was grunge came along. I always remember we'd sold out concerts for two years on the run in England, and our promoter, SJM Promotions, one of the biggest promoters now in in Europe. And that, I said, "How was the Newcastle sales going? We were playing there the next day. Oh, it hasn't sold out. It hasn't sold out." Right. I said, "What's happening?" He said, oh, "There's this group called Nirvana down <laughs> playing at the university." Right. And we'd heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit" in America. And we loved the song. We thought it was brilliant. But the music press were quite happy with grunge to come along because they didn't understand the Happy Mondays, the Stone Roses, or the f- groups like that. They yeah. didn't understand it. People were experimenting with music, and uh, I think they were quite happy with white guitar groups to come back. You know. Yeah, but it's the. I mean, it's the thing with music, isn't it? It's it, you know, you become huge. I mean, sometimes you become huge and stay being huge for your whole career, but not very often. But it's it's really they're always looking for the next the next thing. So yeah, and, and course, the next yeah. thing's going to come along. And the next yeah. generation's going to go. I don't want to listen to your the, the yeah. music my dad listened to or whatever. So yeah, but my we, big brother, we had, you know, we had an absolutely brilliant time. So sure. We've got no regrets. I mean, no. we've been all over the world. And we've you know, you know, Kevin's intention was to get us on top of the pops, and when he got us on top of the pops, he resigned the next day. So we did have an emergency <laughs> meeting. He said, fuck off, Kevin, you can't resign now. We're just starting. He went, no, that was it. That was in the blueprints. And he said, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to recommend a few managers. We go, fuck off, you know. And that's what happened with it. So we convinced him to carry on, which reluctantly, because he, he, right. he was a writer, you see, yeah. and he wanted to get back to writing, you know. And he's yeah. been very successful at writing and that. But, you know, we had, we had a fantastic time. And we still, have, we still play He's festivals still going, now, yeah. yeah. And oh. new and making new music. The, the, the new yeah. singles just come out this week. The, the, the yeah. record of this. Feel the, te- the love. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. And that was about. Uh, that was when all the haters on Facebook after Brexit and all that. You know, I just thought let's do something positive. You know, feel the love. You know, and uh, it's based on the story is based upon a DJ called Harvey who we met in a beef there, and uh, we met him in the Coo Club. After we played, he come up. They had the miners' helmets on with the light on, and went, "Come to the mountain with me." Went, what? <laughs> ha, are you Harvey the DJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come to the mountain. It's like a hippie commune. There's no electricity, no running water. But we've got a, we've got a, a generator to run the decks in there. 
So we thought, oh, you know, seems a bit... But anyway, he convinced us because he was so positive, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we went with the van driver, and the van driver at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning, and he resigned on the spot. He said, I'm going over tomorrow, you know, fucking mad. So we went up to this, uh, to this commune, and it was like a, you know, a hippie commune because, you know, in Ibiza town, there's lots of... Uh, hippie, there's the hippie market, isn't there, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it was great, but it was just the fact that Harvey was so positive and, you know, he, he was like Jesus, you know what I mean? <laughs> Going back to religion. <laughs> great. So, you know, obviously the, the single's available, the track's available sort of on all the, the, yeah. the streaming Well, we're going right? to release it on streaming platforms. Yeah. We don't know what that means, but... Uh, Who knows? <laughs> But, um, yeah, allegedly, that's what people do, you yeah. know. And uh, But we're going to try and release. We've got about seven or eight tracks. We're going to try and release one every few months. Uh, well, every few weeks, actually. Yeah. Uh, whether we're going to do an album, I don't know. You know, but uh, we haven't gone away. You no, know? you haven't gone away. And that, you know, that must be... I mean, I know you've been making... You have been writing stuff all the time. But it's, you know, it's the idea of... What would you would you have imagined that you would still be in the band sort of thirty years on, and would you imagine no. you'd still have been? No, well, it, I, it was music? it was accidental yeah. that I got in the band anyway. Yeah, because I was staying in my mate's pub, and his uh, brother was rehearsing, and I said, "Well, who's that?" I said, "Oh, that's our Ollie rehearsing. He's got a band." So I went in to watch them, and uh, I said, "Where's the singer?" So oh, we haven't got a singer. I said, "Well, I was in the school production of Oliver." <laughs> Artful Dodger? Uh, I, no, I nearly, you know, <laughs> I was second in line to be, uh, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the lead character, but right, um, Lionel Bart's uh, Oliver had blonde hair, didn't he? He did. So the, the lad with blonde hair, and I fucking made up, I never got that. Because <laughs> all the lines, you had to learn for that. Yeah. You know, the pressure was on, you know. Yeah. Can, pressure... you sing, can you sing a bit of Where Is Love For Us Now? <laughs> <laughs> Just see, to see if you... Gotta pick a pocket or two... <laughs> That's where is love. But it was a fantastic production. And I, I remember I had one speaking line. Uh, not in the warehouse, but in... Uh, these are the books you ordered from the bookmaster, sir. Okay. And I got so nervous going on stage every night <laughs> for that. Not realising that I'd end up on stage. You know? Yeah. But uh, um, at that audition, it wasn't an audition as such, but there was two or three lads in the group had long hair. They were like troggy types, you know. And, a couple of, and uh, they didn't like me because I did the end. And they thought that was a Scally magazine or, you yeah. know, short hair, neo-mods and all that. And, but two in the band said, oh, we, you know, we quite like his enthusiasm, you know, and his, <laughs> his emotion and his voice. Didn't say he had a good voice. Like. <laughs> but uh, so I started rehearsing with them and that's, we started rehearsing on a farm. And that's how we got the name. Yeah. yeah, because they were called... I mean, I think the farm's a better name. The Excitements was the name of the band. Shit name, yeah. It's yeah, about... Yeah. It's, it is... But then you could, you, you know, in a way, you might have gone, oh, the farm, well, the farm. So in the end, it became, when it was successful, I mean, the Beatles, I have to tell you, is, a, is one of the worst band names. Yeah. I, don't, I, know, I know I'm in Liverpool. It's absolutely shockingly shit. That's the, it's, like, it's, like calling, it's like the B-sharps well, in The Simpsons. It's as bad you? as that. It's as bad as that. But you, you, you actually forget about the pun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, because it, it, it's become something else. And the well, farm, it was, you, the farm it was Johnny the and the Moon Dogs, wasn't there? And yeah. the Silver Beatles, yes. and then the Beatles with an A. Yeah, which was very clever if you think about it. It wasn't but, clever. As you say, <laughs> it was. It was something that's initially amusing. Gets less clever the more you hear it, <laughs> which is what the Beatles is. But yeah, <laughs> as you write, you don't even think about it now, don't you? No, the Rolling no. Stones. Who's got a name like the Rolling Stones? You know. 
But you, you, you're, you're very into you're, you're into the the, uh, the legacy of uh, yourself, but also the Beatles. You're involved in uh, in in that now, and you're involved in quite a few. Yeah, I'm involved in this thing called the Beatles Legacy Group. Yeah. So I mean, it's not a job. I just do it voluntary, you know. Yeah. But it's looking at so say someone wanted the Brian Epstein statue. You know, they, there was a Brian Epstein co- committee and they wanted the statue and they say, let's put it down to Pierhead next to the Beatles. Or we'd say, we don't think that's a good idea. It should go in Whitechapel by where NEMS was, you know. Yeah. So it's just advisory stuff, really. Yeah. So I'm not on the phone to uh, Apple Core. <laughs> in fact, they blank everyone in Liverpool anyway, <laughs> Apple Core, you know. But... but it's such, I mean, it's obviously it's such a big part of the of Liverpool uh, and the, and... It's an expression of Liverpool as well, I think. I think, you know, that's why, why the world is taking to heart, but why well, Liverpool's taking to heart. But obviously, it is a massive tourist thing it's, for the city as well, it's the a band. Ph- it's a phenomenon, you know, it's yeah. unbelievable. There was a Beatles convention uh, every year, and last, last uh, week I went to it, you know, and just, everyone just comes, you've got the Japanese Beatles playing, you've got, yeah. you got the... Uh, you got loads of tourists from America. They're all coming back now after COVID, like, you know. Yeah. So it is an absolute, you know... It, it's immense, really, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was a Clash fan, so I was singing Phony Beatlemania as Bit in the Dust, you know, <laughs> and now I'm uh, chair of the Legacy Group. <laughs> it's a funny old world. But that's, I mean, but music's like that, and when I think, and, or, you know, and com- I'm, I'm, I was always into comedy as a kid, uh, and then you kind of get embarrassed about the comedy you're into, or you, ch- you suddenly like something else, and... And then you come back to it years later and you go, you know, like I think I heard you saying you listen to Genesis now and go, this is amazing, you know, whereas you would have, yeah. well, you would have thrown was, it away. I was a Pete Gabriel fan. Yeah. So as soon as Pete Gabriel left Genesis, I would not listen to Genesis yeah. again. And call. like Pete Gabriel's proved that he's, he, he's, he's brilliant, isn't he? Yeah. And he's c- continued to be brilliant. But I think, yeah, it's like, like comedy. And in the early days, we had a band in school called Breakwind. And... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't the greatest name, of course, but uh, <laughs> it was me mate, really, and he was, he was the like, main figure in it. And it was just songs about teachers, taking the piss out of teachers, and yeah. no one ever listened to it, because we'd rehearse on the stage, uh, uh, you know, in dinner time. And then one of the priests was listening, going, that's about one of the priests. <laughs> <laughs> and so they banned us from that. Right. <laughs> but we never actually played live, but it was just all piss takes on the teachers, basically. Yeah. Know? Monty Python-esque, you know, we were going through that phase of, you know, of, uh, you know, and you look at one of my favourite bands, Half Man, Half Biscuit. Yes. You know. Hey. Well, I was at a wedding in Marbella last week, my wife's uh, cousin's son, and they're all from Swindon, Irish family, but settled in Swindon. And all of a sudden, during the reception, Joy Division Oven Gloves comes on. And I'm going, is this just a mistake? Has the, <laughs> the Spanish DJ just played this? But no, they were all into it, all these kids from Swindon. Right. So I sent Blackie, the uh, the singer, I sent him the video and he went, oh, it's amazing that. It must be the first time it's ever been played outside the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so the next day, we're at like a, a reception, you know, a post-wedding meal, and all the messages are going in the wedding book. And this lad had put two Joy Division oven gloves so I said, to, I said, I sacked him down. I said, "Oh, what is it?" And he went, "No, we're obsessed with with uh, half man half biscuit, and right. that's why it was on last night." Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 terrific. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, and I, I think um, I was well. I was. I wanted to talk to you. I've, I have heard you talk about this, but um, obviously, all together now, which is I think probably my favourite pop song about the the First World War armistice football match. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. I think it's, I'm going to say it's definitely my favourite one. Is but what a brilliant one of the other ones. <laughs> what a brilliant thing to write a song about, and what a beautiful song it is. But it, you know, it's. It, you, you allowed it to be used by Everton, right? Which was, yeah, which oh, was... fucking hell. How many times have I been well, explained you've got this? Well, you've got to... I know, that, I know this, but I'm interested yeah. in the next Well, yeah. Um, and we found out um, in 2004 when England used it for Euro 2004 yeah. that the FA were going to use it uh, for the whole of... Of 1996, the Euros. Yeah. So they w- you wouldn't have been subjected to three lines. I know. That's what I mean. So, so it's a big mistake. But as soon as Everton used it, they scrapped the idea and right. they uh, skinned them a deal and, and yeah. the lightning sees to do uh, three lines. But I let them use it because my dad, I asked my dad, he's a season ticket holder and he's in his 90s and he still goes to match in his 90s. Uh, I said, What do you think? I said, I don't want them to change the lyrics. It was mainly the lyrics for me, you yeah. know, that I didn't want them to change. He said, well, if you don't let them use it, he said, you're a bit of a hypocrite, aren't you? Because it's about <laughs> two enemies coming together in no man's land. He went, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I've never forgiven them for them. <laughs> Even when I'm at the match, derby matches, people are tapping, this is you, isn't it? You fucking let them have this, didn't you? <laughs> But it is, you know, it is, it is a, it's a brilliant football song. I think, you know, and, and you know, I, I love uh, Deal and Skinner, but Three Lions, well, I first, well, when we first, we, me and Stuart Lee heard it before anyone else because we said the same management and we could hear it playing in the next uh, room. And Stuart, who's a bit of a music snob, it has yeah. to be said, said, it sounds like the fucking Wombles. <laughs> uh, and he was absolutely convinced that it would die a death. So, you know, well done to Deal and Skinner for proving him wrong, but... 
I think you know it is. It is because it's about it's about a football match. It's like yeah. and it's about I know it's about a war as well. But then that's it's sort of about the power of football to overcome. All it of those is, things. and it's Amazing. you know some brilliant been some brilliant podcasts on it. By the way, you know right. people go on to Facebook, go never fucking happened. That never happened, and, <laughs> yeah. and people disproving the podcast from yeah. primary evidence. You know, there's so many letters home from the German side and the British side. Yeah. That actually happened. Obviously, they weren't organised games with goalposts and, and lines <laughs> and that. But you know, there were kickabouts and people fraternising and swapping. And I read, I read the story and it became emotional reading the story. And I think Keir Hardy, the uh, founder of the Labour Party, yeah. said uh, he thought at the time it was the beginning of the work, the proletarian revolution. <laughs> right. It never happened, no. of course. You know. I mean, you know, it, yeah, it is. It, these little things can happen that, well, that, that well, do that you think of the start of something. One of the reasons is because people were asking questions in the House of Parliament. Why is there no action on the Western Front? And it took from uh, uh, Christmas Day until January the 11th for the Daily Minute to have the front cover right. with the soldiers on it. You know, it took, you know, t- over two weeks, you know, to yeah. get... You know, now it would have been like that, course, they, you know. Yeah, yeah. But people, uh, Kissinger, they had to... Um, Answer questions out of Parliament why there was no activity on the Western Front because people were refusing to fight the people, you know. Yeah. And then they started making up stories of atrocities and something had happened down the line, and you know, and obviously they all started fighting again. I think court martials were, were going on as well, and it never happened on the same scale as 1914. But you've got to remember 1914, it wasn't the Powers Brigades, it was like the regular army. Yeah. So they probably had a lot in common with the regular German army, you know. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting um, thing to pick on. You know, not many bands would think, "Oh, let's write a song about that," which is why it's the only one. But it's, but that you know, that's because the, you, you were political. You know, you were very political. Politi- the rest of the band, when you started, we yeah. wanted to do love songs, and you wanted to do political stuff, and you, obviously that yeah. stayed with you throughout yeah. your whole life. But... There was a bit of that, and also when. Um... You know, when we were doing music interviews, we were wanting to take the enemy and the melody maker and sounds to Robert Tressel's grave, you know, the author of the Ragged Child of Philanthropist, yes, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they just, the journalists just wanted to talk about ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we were in a bit of a dilemma, really, because we were trying to say, look, we're, you know, we're a political band as well, yeah. you know, because that was our, the specials and the clash and the jam. Uh, but, you know, obviously, hedonism was at its height and no yeah. one wanted to listen. You know? <laughs> and you had your moments of that as well, to be fair. I mean, Groovy Train is, you know, it's a political Groovy Train. Uh, but... It is, actually. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the story. Go tell me. It was a girl from uh, Cancel Farm where I was a youth worker and she was into politics. Right. And I met her in the state in about 1990 and uh, said, oh, you're still into all the politics? She said, Peter... Get your head together, will you? I'm on the groovy train. <laughs> and that's where they got it from. That's yeah, good. Did you ever, would you, can, how much would it cost for you to let Bisto take it and change it to, uh, we're on the, the gravy train? Oh. I've always thought, we always thought Virgin <laughs> Rail would adopt it. Yeah, know? that'd be good. Uh, but they did on a few radio adverts, but never went for the full one, you know. No. But we did, we, we, we were offered uh, a McDonald's advert for the Qatar World Cup. Right. Uh, we thought, we can't do it. No. You know, even though it was only 15 seconds or something, we just thought, we can't let them have it, you know. But, so we still have some principles. <laughs> it's good, it's the funny. money wasn't good enough. <laughs> but that's what I like about you as well, that it is, you know, that you're principled and that's great, but there's a, there's a reality to it as well, because 
It's very easy to be an activist yeah. and go, oh, I'd never take the money. Well, but then when the money's offered to you, that's a, that's, was, a, that's a different prospect. There was a period in, about 93, the uh, News International got in touch. Yeah. And uh, they said they wanted to use it. So our publisher rang up and said, it's a massive offer here. It's a proper, you know, lottery money, you know. Yeah. He said, who is it? He said, oh, it's News International. I said, yeah, but who is it? <laughs> and we found out in the end it was the sun. Yeah. And we said, we can't. He said, what, you're fucking mad. It's only a few people. And it said, no, we can't. I can't go. We can't do it. It's no. just impossible, you know, to do. Um, and then a group called Hurricane Number One. Yeah. Have you heard of them? Uh, They'd no. already done the advert in black right. and white. It was like our original Altogether Now advert. Right. Thinking they could just buy us off, you know, but... No, we, we kept, you know, we kept to our print. Bastard. Yeah. Why wasn't it the Daily Mirror? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you, there are times when you have to say that, but there are, you know, there are, and there, that you couldn't have done that. No, we couldn't <laughs> have done that because we already turned Piers Morgan's car over yeah, tell and us, we, tell us around about, about the same time. <laughs> tell us about that. Uh, we were doing uh, like a radio, capital radio uh, stock car racing show. So there was <laughs> us in the middle of the field with madness, uh, and we were both mining to various songs and that. And we, let's say, we'd, we'd uh, taken a lot of Guinness on board that day, you know. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, we saw, no one wanted to go in the stock cars because we were all over the limit, like. But Roy, our drummer, said, oh, I'll, I'll have a go. We hadn't drunk as much. And we saw um, <laughs> two pints, maybe. Three, uh, but anyway, we saw Piers Morgan and a sun car pull up. To, and Roy was behind him, he said, there's that bastard Piers Morgan. Because <laughs> he did the bizarre column in the sun. Yeah. He was, you know, he was a no, nobody really knew him then. So it was Lee from Madness. We all looked at each other and we went, charge. <laughs> and so we ran over, got I tipped the car and we tipped it over. And as it went over, it was upside down. And the diesel was dropping, you know, onto the floor. And Lee was going, get the fucking matches. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not joking. Piers Morgan was screaming, you know, he was, we could have done society a big favour. You really could, you know, there's those moments you look back on, it's like going back to finding baby Hitler you had. We've got good footage of it, Carl Hunter took the footage of it, we will release it one day when we know how to, (laughs) because it's on cine camera, but anyway, the next day Piers Morgan turned it round to my mates the farm, because what he'd done is after the incident, he'd gone running up to Keith Mullen, our guitarist, put his arm around him. Now, he had a helmet on. Keith's looking at him like that, doesn't know who it is. And he gets the picture like that. Right, yeah. If that was the internet now, we would be fucking finished. Yeah. Because everyone would be saying, there's Keith with his mate Piers Morgan. He didn't even know who he was. (laughs) He had the fucking helmet on. And uh, the next day, it turned it round and we thought... He's going to go far, eh? he's a clever <laughs> bastard. <laughs> he totally turned it round as if we were all in on it together. And we were, you know, we, we, we were trying to do him damage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, though, because you were, you know, you, it's interesting you went that way. And that shows what kind of a, a mind he has. Because, you know, uh, some journalists right, might go, right, I'm going to hammer, I'm gonna hammer I'm going to find out anything I can about them. I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm going to slate them in the press. And he, and he sort of he twisted, twisted it, it and yeah. it's much worse for you well, than he did it. It's clever. We went to a <laughs> smash hits party and we wouldn't talk to the son, you see, of course, and we wouldn't talk to him even through press agents, you know what I mean? So anyway, take that at the bar. Now, take that weren't the massive phenomenon. They were, so they were talking at the bar, Piers Morgan was there, and he saw our manager, Kevin. So we come running over and said, 
uh, we just won Indie Band of the Year or something. And he said, look, I know you won't speak to me, but just fax me anything. Faxes, remember them? <laughs> uh, just fax me anything. It doesn't have to... It, it, you make it up, do anything, but I just need something, some copy. It can be a pile of shit, <laughs> which obviously it was in the yeah. sun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not that any of you would know. Because you never read it. It, was, it actually really turned up. I'd like to know how your new lawnmower's going. Is it all oh, right? Oh, the new lawnmower. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's, it's good, but it's tough, you know. Yeah. You know, in a wet a... summer, the handheld lawnmower yeah, is a disaster. Not, yeah, not for the handheld. Hand what made you choose the, uh, the handheld lawnmower? I just thought, you know, I don't want to get electrocuted. Is that what it was? Do you want to cut through? <laughs> and uh, those petal ones look too complicated. Yeah. You know, so... You know the, uh, the major, the coughing major from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire cut, like, three of his toes off with a strimmer, so... Oh, right. Yeah, you're, you're in the... <laughs> and our ex-manager, Kevin, nearly yeah. killed himself with <laughs> one of them strimmers, yeah. Did he? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why. So I was just... I'm just a bit wary of uh, electrical garden that's, instruments, That's you know? good. I'm just interested to know. It was, there's an interview with you and John Robb. It's yeah. quite a long interview at the end of your, your new lawnmower arrives. <laughs> <laughs> it was during, was, lo- during lockdown. That was during lockdown. It I thought, lockdown. yeah, we'll keep fit as well. Yeah. You know? I mean, obviously everyone, you know, have different opinions on lockdown, but loads of people to me said, I quite enjoyed lockdown. <laughs> the governments are sending you money. <laughs> yeah. The governments are sending you money and you're going on uh, walks to the beach, which you'd never done before, you know. And, but, you know, obviously it was a hard time for people with, obviously with what was going on. But, you know, for me, it didn't really change that much because I'm at home all the time anyway, apart from festivals, you know. Yeah. So is that, is that, have you got, are you happy with your life? Is it a nice life? Is it nice? Yeah, well. <laughs> is it? I, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I've got no complaints. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I've tried to be honest to myself and do, you know, but, you know, obviously you think maybe we should have had a business plan for the end. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone's always talking about it. In fact, in 2011, we, um, it came out as a, like, uh, the be- you know, the all 20 copies and James Brown from Loaded fame, yeah. he released it, you know, and right. he put a bit of money behind it and that. And uh, it came out and it, it did very well. In fact, Waterstones in Liverpool was the only Waterstones in, Liver- in uh, the country where Jamie Oliver's Christmas cookbook wasn't number one. <laughs> right. It was the end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's, a, that's, a, I mean, it's, it's amazing to have like one phenomena like that. And it doesn't, you know, and that it's, I mean, for me, I love those, the, the things that are cult hits, the things that are, you know, really important to a specific group of people and yeah. another group of people. You know, you say that, you went around the country and said the end to most people, they, most people aren't going to know what it is. But no. the people who know it, yeah. still, lo- you know, still love it. And the, I mean, yeah. I'm not, it's not quite the same with the farm because the farm was bigger than that. But. Well, I think uh, from, from what I can gather, a lot of people said it inspired them to write. Yes. Yeah, and, which is, a, you know, it's brilliant, isn't it, to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, and when we went on, we used to go on tour with Ted Chippington. Yes. You know, uh, and yeah. we loved Ted Chippington. We absolutely loved him. Yes. And he was an end reader, I think, you know. Right. And, he, and there was also this apocryphal story about Viz saying to us, how do you sell 5,000 copies a week, you know? And uh, I asked Phil Jones, the editor, said, is that true, that story a few years ago? He said, no, I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you I've know, been going that... around telling everyone that for years. <laughs> that, was, that was, that's very interesting you bring up those. I mean, Ted Chippington was like, but both, before we met each other, both me and Stu had heard the, the rec, Ted Chippington records and really got into them. And, and actually, Stu's stand-up, I was a ma- he acknowledges that I was a yeah, massive, yeah. massive uh, favourite, you know, to... To Ted Chippington, but I, you know, it did remind me of Viz, and Viz obviously the, is the out, outwardly comedy version of that. But that was that tiny, 
It was the you know the nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. You could someone could come up with an idea yeah. like that that could yeah. then become nationwide. And and Viz is so influential in yeah. in comedy. I don't. I think I have all the things really. It doesn't really get the credit it deserves, but yeah, it's, it's so influential throughout throughout comedy. So you know, I'm sure that's also true of absolute of genius, wasn't it? But a lot of our a lot of our cartoons in the end were very funny as well, done right. by a, a like called John Potter, you know, and they were absolutely brilliant. And it was like. You know, it'd be like pictures from Yates's Wine Lodge and that people, t- you know, <laughs> uh, under the tables and diving through the air. And it just, it was, it, it just meant, you know, it was like exaggerations, of course, but, you know, comedy comes from exaggeration. Doesn't it does. It, you know? And there was just something about, I mean, I think there was just something about that time. And maybe with, you know, I think it felt like when podcasts started, it was a bit like, I thought this could be a sort of, punky you know it was, it was for a moment yeah. it was it was punky and and people just making stuff themselves in their house and then it's quickly turned into something just horrifying <laughs> uh, well everyone's got a podcast now they, they have well yeah. now and now it's all very well produced not this one yeah. uh we stayed we stayed relatively punky but you know the, the, the really early ones were people just having a go and, yeah. and being and being as offensive as they wanted and trying out crazy ideas which is still yeah. does it still does happen Mainly, yeah. it's mainly me doing them, but there are there I mean, are. Other do you listen to Top Flight Time Machine? Uh, no, 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 no I like it, that yeah. one. You know, good, yeah. I mean, it's great when you when you walk in the dog or whatever yeah. and listen to it, and you know, it's, it's fantastic yeah. stuff. You know, so it's great. You know, and, and I think that's the, that's what I, I really admire about this. The, both the, the end and the and the farm is that it's this it's this self created thing that. You know, shouldn't really. You know that no one would have said, "Oh, let's make that." No, let's have that. You know that you, the only the people involved in it said, "Let's do it." Yeah, well, and, and see, so you, and then and, and you're in charge of it. And it's your, it's your thing, and, and until it's just, it was purely chance. You know, yeah. it's purely chance, really. I think music and football. I was going to lots of concerts, but I was also going to lots of football matches, and yeah. I thought there's no fanzine that represents that. Or and we, you know, you buy student rag mags off the street, and you'd look at it and you go. Yeah, that's shit. That, yeah, they were. You know, that's absolute. <laughs> but, you know, so then I saw an anarchist magazine in Probe Records. Right. And um, Annie, who used to run Probe with Jeff Davis, who sadly just passed away. But I uh, saw this anarchist magazine. It was about the royal wedding. So that time, day two, 81, was yeah, it? Yeah, 81. 81. And I saw this anarchist magazine. I thought, and it was so cruel humour. <laughs> I thought, this is absolutely brilliant, but no one's going to read it because it's an anarchist magazine. Right. So I always remember John Lennon saying, you know, Liverpool humour is cruel. You know, it really is cruel, you know, but, yeah. you know, it can be very funny as well. And it's how you stand up to it and how you react to that cruelty, you know. Yeah. So I thought, well, let's get a, a magazine which just takes the piss out of everything, everything, every sacred cow in the city. And it worked, you know, and, you know, a lot, some people got upset by it. You know, uh, there was a local DJ, and he, he's a great friend of ours now, Billy Butler. Okay. And we was, he was in the ins column and the outs column at the same time, you know, <laughs> just to confuse everyone, you know. And, uh, you know, and were, some people got upset by it. You know, we put them in the out column, and, uh, and they'd go, why am I in the out column? <laughs> it's a fucking joke, don't worry about it. You know, and like, but it be, that become a phenomenon, really. And yeah. I, I think by doing that, you know, um, people were saying, oh, who, who, who are these guys? Who are these guys? And John Peel championed it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and it, because we sent him a letter saying, look, John, you know, you might think, uh, you know, Georgian folk music is big, but it's not on the council estates of Liverpool. And, he's, <laughs> and he said he read the letter and thought, gee, he bastards. But then he thought, then he thought, oh, I'd like to meet them. Yeah. You know? so, well, it's uh, the Liverpool, it's exactly what you say, it's that Liverpool humour of... <laughs> 
of being cheeky and being rude and, yeah. and, and, and having so, to cope with it. Some people could uh, cope with it. Like uh, Pete Baines was the past master at it. You know, he used to have a load of scallies walking down Church Street behind him, giving him stick. And he'd turn around and give them funnier stick to right. them. <laughs> you know, and Tony Wilson used to have it all the time because what's written out of the Tony Wilson uh, books and history is that he spent a lot of his time from 76 to 1980 in Liverpool, right. going to Eric's, and he was known as the twat in the suit, yeah. in the white suit. Uh, but he used to go to Eric's a lot, and he wanted something similar, in, and that was, became factory, because right. he worked with Roger Eagle quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, but he's, you know, it's mainly, that narrative is written out of all the Manchester books, you know, but Tony was, uh, you know, was a brilliant character, we loved him, and when he passed away, we sent a floral tribute from all Liverpool bands, from Liverpool with love, because right. we remember in the 1980s, he organised a concert around the corner at the Royal Court from Manchester with Love to uh, a benefit for the surcharged city councillors. Nice. So New Order were on it, the Smiths were on it, uh, the Four were on it, John Cooper Clark. So we remembered that. And we sent this, and the, this uh, floral tribute, because it was all groups got together, it was fucking massive. <laughs> and it ended up in the hearse from Liverpool with Love. And they were going around Manchester. Tony Wilson was going around <laughs> Manchester. Past the Hacienda. We're from Liverpool with love on. <laughs> and even his son said at the graveyard, he was, he'd see the funny side of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I mean, there's so many stories you could tell us, and it's really fascinating to hear all this stuff. Um, I hope you've written it all down and put it some... Have you, have you, have you got an autobiography? No, uh, I've got to do an no, autobiography. I, I don't... Yeah, I, I've, I've thought about doing a book, but... Yeah. I did the... Uh, I did the boot room, but I've done a couple of Liverpool books, yeah. you know, but I haven't really... But if, you know, get the anecdotes down. But maybe I get someone else to write it. Like John Rob, <laughs> John, John Rob, Rob he'll do it for you. He's enthusiastic. <laughs> well, look, it's an amazing story, and and, and uh, uh, yeah, it's such a, a pleasure and honour to meet you, ladies and gentlemen. Please get up, the ACP Dutton. Come back next week. Go and have a break, and come back next week, and we'll have more for you. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Rahalastapo with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Peter Hooten. Thank you to Scamperguard for this lovely music. I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, or that one for all of his work. And Ben Evans, why not? Let's thank him too, not that one either. Uh, thank you also to George Lingford, the incompetent Sandman, and Bexcliff, who have been coming with me on the road. It's been very exciting. And thank you to everyone at the Playhouse in Liverpool. They've been lovely. Thank you for having us. This is Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStripe.com production. Thanks very much, richardherring.com slash Rahalastapa for those remaining Rahalastapa dates, Rahalastapa, and richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour to find out all the tour dates for my upcoming stand-up. Would love to see you at those ones. Please book tickets if you can. All right, enjoy another podcast. Don't listen to anyone else's podcast but mine. Stay faithful, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.